0: Hello and welcome to Killer Casting. I am Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. Um, I hope that this new year is going to be full of promise, full of better things, more health, more happiness, more hope. And I'm going to start the new year with an old story because I hope that this old story will forge new hope for the new year. So there's this, this fairly infamous Hollywood story, and I've heard it many, many times, Uh, and it involves a writer named Janice Hirsch, and Janice Hirsch was, and, and she is a very talented comedy writer, and back in the day, she was the only female writer on a little TV comedy called The Larry Sanders Show. And you might remember that that was Gary Shandling's. It's a much beloved satire where he plays this, you know, fictional late night talk show host. And he's surrounded by a bunch of lovable losers and characters. And there's all kinds of backstage antics and chaos. So anyway, so Janice Hirsch is on the first season of the Larry Sanders show, and she gets she writes two of the first six episodes. They get great write-ups in the LA Times, and the show is off to a great start. Guess what happens? She starts to get hazed, she starts to get um excluded, she starts to get sort of a soft velvet glove retaliation by the other writers, the other male male writers, and you know, it gets to the point where you know she's She's being excluded from meetings and she's assigning. She's assigned to what they call the slit scenes. Uh, I'm going to let you guess what a slit scene meant uh, in those days. But anyway, um, and then one day she's sitting in Gary Shandling's office, right? He's the star of the show and she's sitting in his office and in the office are a couple of the other writers, a couple of guys of the other writers and one of the actors uh, who's on the show and they're sitting there you know, chatting in the office and she's sitting there and she feels a tap on her shoulder and she looks, she turns and there was that actor's flaccid penis draped on it. Like a, and she describes it as a pirate's dead parrot. Laughter ensues. Everybody thinks it's just fucking hilarious. And she has to deal with that. Right. And so later that day, She's approached by one of the show's producers and he says, oh, I heard what happened. And she's like, oh, okay, thank God, you know, uh, that wasn't cool. Is something going to happen? And he tells her, I think you should quit. She should quit because an actor put his junk on her shoulder. Okay. So- you know, I mean, you could say that this is a story that that, you know, a lot of people in a lot of industries have have seen a dead parrot right? a lot of women have had to suffer the dead parrot, uh, not just in Hollywood and not just writers. Uh, certainly uh, a lot of other people in our industry have. But but that's not even the worst part. The worst part is after. not only does she have no power, she can't tell anybody this story because she's not going to work again. Right. She's going to be called difficult. She's going to be called somebody who can't take a joke, right? And worst of all, the worst thing you can possibly call a woman in the entertainment industry is crazy. And I, I think about that and I, and I know that that's like back in the day and all that stuff. And I hope that's not the world we're living in, but I think maybe it still is the world we're living in. And something that stuns me, and I want to talk about this with my guests that I'm going to bring on in a second. What stuns me is this actor did this in a room full of people and it was done to humiliate Janice, to humiliate her. Now, you'd think that the guy standing there with the dick out would be the one humiliated, but that wasn't the case. Okay, so that's that's the story that I'm thinking about right now. And I want to know what my beautiful guest has to say about it. Uh, I'm joined today by somebody who I am thrilled to have on the show, and I'm thrilled to get her thoughts. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah Ann Massey. I'm thrilled to be here today. I'm an actor and a writer and a filmmaker and also the founder of an initiative called Higher Survivors Hollywood.
0: Higher Survivors Hollywood. So, Sarah, what did you think of that story I just told? I don't know. Any
1: thoughts? (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, my heart is like racing and beating out of my chest with rage right now. I'm not surprised. I'm horrified, but I'm not surprised. I've heard so many stories like this over the years. And I think, like you said, you know, this was years ago. And this is the past. And hopefully we don't live in that society anymore. And that's not what our industry looks like anymore, but it still does. And I think that's the thing that really gets my blood pumping is knowing that these things are still happening. And um, it is still the person who is basically being abused, who is the one who's humiliated, not the one who's doing the abusive action. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, you know, she's never named who that actor was, but the sad thing is, is not only do I think I know who it was, I can think of several people on that show that it could have been right. Yeah. People who are yeah. beloved, but Sarah. So we were brought together by a mutual friend of ours, uh, the the vibrant Lenora Claire, who is a victims' advocate and is like a badass fucking fairy godmother to victims everywhere. But I, if you can, if you can tell me your story for people who don't know who you are.
1: Sure. So I was one of the first women to come forward about being abused by Harvey Weinstein back in October of 2017. And it took me nine and a half years to come forward publicly about what had happened. And when I did, it was very scary. I I sort of, I waited a long time because I was afraid. I was afraid what would happen to me if I spoke. And I didn't think anyone would believe me or anyone would care. I was a very young actress when it happened. And it happened in the auspices of a job interview. Mm -hmm. Uh, My day job was always in childcare. I was a nanny. And so I was actually interviewing to be his nanny at the Mm -hmm. time. And I spent a month pre-interviewing with female assistants of his. Mm -hmm. And they were very aware that I was also an actor. We talked about that and how I had a very clear line of separation between my day job and my acting work. And I would never try to use my position as a nanny to further my career. And they felt very comfortable and confident with me. And as a matter of fact, it told me that they liked that I was in the industry because I would understand. I would understand his world and I would understand the discretion required. Sure. Mm-hmm. And at the time I thought, oh, well, sure. He'll have famous friends around and, you know, you're drinking a little too much or they're talking about things that shouldn't be, you know, spilled to the, you know, the press. And I got that. I, that made sense to me. Once I got to the interview, I was told I had to go to his house in Etiquette. And I ended up going alone. One of his assistants was supposed to be there and she bailed at the last minute. It became very clear what kind of discretion they actually meant. It had nothing to do with protecting, you know, the private lives of his friends and family. It had everything to do with not talking about the sexual abuse that I was going to have to endure. So he assaulted me during the job interview. He sexually harassed me during the job interview. He started screaming and blowing up at his children when they walked into the room at the job interview. It was... Mm -hmm. Terrifying. It was just absolutely horrifying. And I was like locked behind a door, locked behind an uh, an automatic gate. I was Mm -hmm. down a driveway that was like a mile long. I was very much alone and very much afraid. And, you know, I told my mom after it happened, but I didn't feel like I could tell anybody else. I didn't know what to do or who to talk to, or didn't feel like I could go to the police with something like this. And, it was terrifying. And it it really cost me for a long time, even before I started speaking publicly about it, because I became really afraid to be alone with powerful men. Yeah. I- I had just moved to New York. I had, you know, my background was theater and I had just started my own theater company and everything, but I was trying to branch out into film and TV. Mm-hmm. I stopped looking for an agent. I stopped submitting myself for auditions. I was terrified that I would inadvertently walk into a room and he would be there or oh. a project for yeah. companies or one of his films. Cause as an actor, you know, you don't get a lot of information right. about the project going in. You don't always know who the producer is. I think it's better now, but you know, back then it was harder and I just kind of, I kept acting. I had my theater company. I kept working with people I knew and trusted in environments I could control, but I lost a lot of time and Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of opportunity. And that was really hard. But the first story came out in the news and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not the only one. Right. And I mean, that tells you how far outside of like the center of the film and television industry I was at the time because I hadn't heard the rumors about him. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard the stories about him. I wasn't friends with other actresses who had gone through this with him so I really was hearing this for the first time realizing that he had been doing this for decades to women. Yeah. And I felt terrible for the other people who had gone through it but I also felt a somewhat a sense of relief because I wasn't alone and I felt like I could finally say something because people were actually listening and seeming to care. You know it felt like there was this shift where survivors were being heard and believed and listened to so I felt safe sharing my story. And I hadn't heard one quite like mine yet. I hadn't heard one where someone who was in more of a, like a domestic worker
0: Mm -hmm. situation
1: had come forward and spoken. And I was certain that he had done this to other people, you know, probably assistants or nannies or housekeepers or whatever. And I wanted, I wanted that to be part of the narrative. I wanted other women and men who had been through something similar to feel seen and know that they weren't alone. So that's why I decided to share my story. And I felt really positive about it at first, even though I was, terrified to put it out into the world. And it was good for the first few months I had mostly support and I got to meet a whole bunch of other survivors and really connect in with that community and feel a part of things. But then two months in, I was told that I needed to stop talking. I need to stop talking about the abuse. I need to stop talking about Harvey, stop talking about other abusers in the industry Mm -hmm. because I was getting, there were people who wanted to blacklist me and wanted to not call me in for things and that I was going to ruin my career. And at first I thought that this was just an issue with this person who was my agent at the time, you know, maybe they felt nervous about it, but over the next few months it, it came to be true. You know, I went from having four or five auditions a month when I first moved to LA to having, I think I've had maybe five, maybe six auditions in the past three and a half years. And if anything, you know, I've, I've put in more work. I'm more experienced. I, I'm a more known quantity now. You would think that it would be the opposite, if anything, and it's it's been very difficult. And a lot of other survivors started telling me that they were going through the same thing. Once I started talking about the retaliation, yeah, I was thinking, I heard stories from everybody—people who were like me, who were more unknown, sort of you know just workaday actors trying to make it—and then people who have won major awards and been in some of your favorite movies. And it really ran the gamut and it was both implicit and explicit retaliation, you know, either being told directly, you're not going to work in this town again, or having auditions dry up or having, you know, being suddenly removed from a pilot before it gets picked up or, you know, um, ha- telling your, only your agent or only your manager, or only the producer on the film and still having work start dry up, start having auditions drying up. And, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, you may know someone's name and you may see them in things still, but you don't realize that suddenly they're not getting the same caliber of work or they're not working as frequently or they're being put into you know smaller roles or less significant roles. And then some people you just never know because they never get a chance in the first place. And it's really painful. I
0: know. And it's so that you just have blown my mind in so many different ways. And to people who are listening, there are a lot of people from the industry who listen to this podcast and some people who don't know the behind baseball, inside baseball stuff that goes on. But I think what you know Sarah is talking about is there are gatekeepers that you know to to work. And it doesn't sound fair and it sometimes it may sound very paranoid, but If those gatekeepers don't open the gate, you can't get into audition. You can't, your submission will not be looked at. And what, you know, Sarah told me before is that her agent just straight up told her the names of some casting directors who said, who, who basically said, we're not going to, she needs to shut up or we, you know, we, we're not going to bring her in. We're not going to consider her for roles. We're not going to consider your submission. So that's a very powerful thing to say to, to a small agent to, to, a, to a young and, you know, not that experienced, no, somebody who doesn't have a lot of credits on their resume, that is just like a nail in a coffin. I mean, it, it must feel so frustrating and so isolating. And it's what you were saying before, Sarah, it's kind of the, this whisper campaign in the background. The backlash is so subtle. It's not really actionable. You know, you, you can't really sue anybody for it. It's just, it's just by omission. It's just, you know, um, abuse by omission in some ways. And I mean, I was sharing with you before that, and it's just really, I've learned this over the years that if I'm sitting in a, if I'm sitting in a concept meeting about casting and I've got a list of actresses, it's usually actresses, you know, a list of actresses that are maybe offers that we're going to make an offer to. And, um, usually people will look at a name and go, Oh, I love her. Or, Oh yeah, I've worked with her before. She, you know, she's great. And then a few will be like, Oh no, she's crazy. And in the beginning I was just naive and I was like, Oh, okay. And that would kind of stick with me that perception would kind of stick with me so you know i might maybe not put that actress on the next list i present you know and it wouldn't be it was an unconscious bias right and then as i got a little more experience under my belt i would push back on that question and say well what does that mean what's the nugget of that and it would turn out to be oh well i heard this or i heard that right that they didn't really work with this actress, but they heard it. And so then I would push, then I would, you know, especially if it was an actress that I loved and I knew would be great in a role, you know, I might make a call to that casting director and say, Hey, so you hired, you know, so-and-so for this, you know, how did it all go? And the casting director would usually say, Oh, she was amazing. She was great. There were no problems. So it's like, where is this coming from? Like, you know, you really have to drill down. Now sometimes you might call on an actor, it could be a male, it could be a female, and it's like, oh yeah, they were always late to set and, and they trashed their trailer, or you know, they were very unkind to everybody around them, and we we ran behind, you know, maybe maybe there might be something really specific, but usually it's not. So you gotta wonder. I mean, if I did not cast every actress who I'd been told were crazy there'd be no fucking females cast and in anything, you know? So
1: yeah, I've heard, I've heard this from so many, I heard this from you the other day when we talked, but I have writer friends who have been in rooms where names are being tossed around and they hear, Oh no, no, she's too political. Or she's difficult or she's crazy. And it's these words keep coming up. And yeah, what is that code for? What does that actually mean? And I think, you know, I'll talk about these three women because they've been public with their stories about their own retaliation, but We know with Ashley Judd and Mira Sorvino, Harvey directly told people not to hire them, said they're crazy, don't work with them. He did that exact thing with Eliza Dushku. She, you know, after she came forward about sexual harassment on set of the show she was on, on Bull, you know, she was fired just outright. She was fired from the show. And, you know, I think these are really good examples of explicit retaliation that happens but you're right. it 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 you don't know. Like, and that's the thing the gatekeepers can either be part of the problem or they can be the heroes of this story. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love talking to you because, you know, you are a casting director. And now that you're more aware of this thing going on, you can be part of the solution. You can be one of the people who is, more open to seeing people who happen to be survivors. And that's kind of the whole point of the initiative I started, which is, yes, it's called Hire Survivors Hollywood, but the point isn't to just hand rolls to people because they happen to have been abused. Sure. It's to make sure doors are open, that they have the same equal opportunity that other people have, and that there isn't this unconscious bias or this retaliation going on, whether people are meaning to participate in it or not. That's right. That's right. It's so funny because you mentioned Ashley and Mira. And I think a lot of people
0: will look at their careers and be like, mm. They didn't suffer, you know. What did they suffer? Because they, I mean, even from my point of view, it's like Ashley Judd. Like I, had her, I had her haircut as my in my wedding. I mean, I had my hair cut to look like her, you know, for my wedding. I mean, she's like an icon to me, and I would never have guessed that there was any backlash against her or any whisper campaign or that she had missed out on opportunities. And you know, and both of them have been on many, many lists that I have put together for series and things like that. So you don't realize because you're not in that person's shoes and, and you don't know. And it's like, even if they did not monetarily lose out just the fact that they had to feel that way, that people were talking about them whispering about them about something that they did not do.
1: Yeah. Right. you I mean, so know, I think you said, this isn't something you can action, right. You can't sue someone, but I think one of the last remaining lawsuits against Harvey is actually Ashley's related directly to loss of income and loss of work because she has, she has proof. She has tangible Mm -hmm. proof of this happening. She has, you know, I think it was Peter Jackson who said, yeah, Harvey told me not to call them in for Lord of the Rings. He told me they're difficult to work with and not to do it. And so she has the legal leg to stand on now. Now, what will happen with that? I don't know, but there are times where it's so blatant and there are Mm -hmm. people who will attest to what's going on that you kind of can say, look, this thing is happening. And I, that was, what was really interesting for me is I had data, you know, I could say here's my submission reports. Here's how many times I used to get called in per month and here's what's happened since. And there's like a very clear line. And I use my example because it's easy to talk about and I'm not, I'm not risking revealing anything that other friends of mine, other survivors don't want to discuss, but I think it's a good example of it because I was an experienced actor and a really well-trained actor And I had started having some success before I came forward about Harvey. Like I do sketch comedy with my husband and Mm -hmm. our videos were on Funny or Die and we were getting pitch meetings with networks and, you know, my star was kind of on the rise and then suddenly everything stopped. And I think that's what's so ironic. There are so many people who go, oh, these women are just coming forward for attention and for money and to advance their careers and if anything, the exact opposite happens. You know, it's not it's not beneficial to our lives. It's hopefully beneficial to society and to moving the needle forward and and in the right direction, but it comes at a great cost. And I think a lot of people don't really realize that.
0: Yeah. And I you know, as I've been thinking about talking to you and I've been looking over um Your Higher Survivors Hollywood website and and what you're trying to do, which is so important. But there are so many catch 22s. It's like, even if you are a victim of this kind of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual violence by somebody in Hollywood, do you really want to put your name out there as a survivor? Or is something, you know, I have this thing about the word victim. I love the word victim. A lot of people see it as a weak word, and I don't. I, I think you have to recognize that you were a victim, that somebody did some shit to you that they should not have before you can be a survivor. But a lot of people don't want to be identified as victims. And I understand that. And I appreciate what you said, that you don't want survivors to be hired just for the sake of being survivors, because I mean, you and I know if we went out to, uh, you know, out to dinner with a bunch of our girlfriends, 99% of those women will have been sexually abused, assaulted, you know, I'm a survivor, you know, I'm a survivor. I was a victim of, of multiple assaults. Um, So, and and in my experience, you know, working on a show like Criminal Minds and other projects, I have to assign roles that are so traumatized, you know, characters who have been traumatized, who are recounting an assault. And, you know, and I know when that audition goes out there that there's going to be women really triggered by it. Rigorously triggered by the material and they, they come in and some, and some men too, I shouldn't exclude men. Of course this happens to men as well. And I've had men triggered as well. And they'll sit in my office and they'll audition for me and they'll really go for it. And they'll really bring the material to life. And after I say cut, they can't just turn that off. And okay. I've sat with many, many people, I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I've sat next to them and I'm like, I'm not letting you leave my office until I know that you're okay. And you can stay here as long as you want. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to hug you. I'm just going to sit here with you. Um, you don't have to say anything, but I'm not just going to let you go out after having your your guts opened up with this material. Because I know that you know 99% of the people who I give this material to it's either happened to them, it's happened to their sister, it's happened to their mother, it's happened to their daughter. So, you know, we're all survivors in a sense. So it's interesting, you know, what is the criteria to joining We Hire Survivors? If you want to
1: talk. Yeah, about that. I think that's a really good question. I think there's sort of two things that go on within the initiative and that we push for, which is both kind of preventing the retaliation that happens and also remedying the retaliation that's already happened. One of the things I, I had a, a, a colleague ask me this the other day, she, cause I'm, I'm consulting on a feature right now. This feature has taken the pledge it's called through the rinse and they're, you know, we're in pre-production right now. So what I do first with the casting is I sit and consult with them. I ask them about the roles that they have and still open. And I kind of build a list with them of like their asks, you know, the, the actors that they would want to, you know, just approach with the script and, and make an offer and we try to make sure that there are survivors in each of those, you know, categories for each character that they are aware of. Public survivors, people have mm-hmm. come forward publicly with their story. But then the second part is once they've done their offer-only stuff and mm-hmm. uh, they're ready to put out, uh, you know, the casting notices through, you know, casting director or th- out to agents or put it up on, you know, Actors Access, we put in a little note that this is a a production that's working with Hire Survivors Hollywood. And if you are a self-identifying survivor, you can put in your notes that you are, you don't have to give any details. And the guarantee there is that those submissions will get looked at. There's no guarantee that you'll get an audition or right. you be asked to self tape. There's just that recognition that this is a group of people who sometimes don't get the same opportunities and we're making sure. And this is also a very inclusive production company. You know, this is a, a Latinx story and they're, you know, there's some actors that they're looking at for roles. You know, there are trans roles in the script and they're, they're very much trying to make sure that all historically marginalized groups get an opportunity on this film. So right. when they heard about this, they said, yeah, this is just another historically marginalized group. Of course we want to be inclusive. Of course we want to open that door. And so a colleague said to me, you know, do the survivor, when you say survivor, is it only people who have been abused by people in Hollywood? Or is it anyone who's in Hollywood who's dealt with abuse? And I said, to me, it's anyone in Hollywood who's dealt with abuse, because yes, there's the more traditional thing of I was abused by a producer or a powerful actor, and either I've come forward and been retaliated against, or I'm scared to come forward because of that power and control. But there's also, you know, as survivors, and you'll know this, There are things we carry with us that do impact how we interact with the world. And, you know, like me, before I came forward publicly, and Harvey's not my only abuser, I've been abused by other people, there's an element where, you know, maybe you are afraid to be alone in a room with people you don't know, or maybe it does hold you back when you're auditioning. And to me, even just knowing that a production is working with higher survivors makes me feel safer. Like this Mm -hmm. is a set, this is a crew who will care about these things. I will feel safer here. These are people who will be cognizant of this issue. And another thing I recommend is that people do a a trauma training. I was just going
0: to say that they're trauma informed
1: ahead of time and that there's always intimacy coordinators involved. If there are going to be triggering any kind of triggering material that like the sides and the audition itself have a trigger warning on it that there is a mental health professional on set the day that those scenes are being filmed. So there's a lot of care baked into Mm -hmm. these projects. And so that's why I want it, I think the the initial focus and sort of the way in for people is to realize that there is this retaliation going on and that there are survivors who have faced this very specific thing in our industry, but it then does become this more holistic thing where it becomes Mm -hmm. a safer environment for all people who have been marginalized and, and people who have dealt with all forms of abuse, because there's racial abuse and violence in this industry, and there's all these different things that go on. And the intention is for this to be a really inclusive initiative and space for people to get the care and the respect that they deserve.
0: Absolutely, and you know I can hear my production, you know my line producer friends out there. I can feel them rolling their eyes like, "Oh my God, this is gonna, you know, cost us so much." And I, I think it really doesn't. And you know, if I if I think about some of the shows I've worked on, you know, the budget for for an actor's shoes is more than you know that you can work all. It just like when you you have a safety coordinator and you have a stunt coordinator and you have all the people who are supposed to keep actors' bodies safe. It's it's good. Good to set the tone and it has to come from the top obviously it has to come from the showrunner and sometimes it comes from the studio or from the network um, that this is a production that's going to be safe for everybody it's going to be traumatized mentally physically emotionally by working on this show and I think it's I think it's great I think it's so important and I I was saying to you before that I'm a member of the CSA the Casting Society of America and we have so many advocacy arms that reach out to you know we have this whole arm that's equity in entertainment and, you know, it's dedicated to increasing access for actors who have been historically underrepresented. And it really, I don't think it's occurred to any of us that, you know, a survivor, particularly a survivor of an industry abuse would need to be a protected group of people. But, you know, I do think that they are, and, and at least have the effort to undo unconscious bias. Cause I think that's really the key is undoing that bias so that it. it's just a, it's just a non-starter that if you're, if Sarah Ann mass is submitted to me, I'm going to look at her real, like anybody else and, and, and bring her in like anybody else. And, and I don't even necessarily earmark you as exactly anything, anything other than yeah. your talent.
1: Yeah. Just getting past that first gate is the hardest part you know, getting that first door opened. And so we're really trying to make sure that those doors are open. And, you know, I'm talking about this obviously a lot with casting because of who we both are and what we both do sure. in the industry, but I, this relates to every department, you know, whoever is that initial gatekeeper to hire grips or to hire, you know, PAs or to hire sure. producers, whatever it is like the, the mind needs to be open to this. And I actually have created this entire toolkit that Reframe is going to be publishing as part of a larger industry toolkit next year. And I'm really excited because I think you're right. People go, oh, this sounds difficult. It sounds expensive. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. But I, I have some case studies now of independent films that have done this. And you know, independent films don't have any extra. Right. In their body, right? And they're doing it and they All of them have said like, this has made the creative part of it so much richer. They're open to people that they didn't know were out there or who they wouldn't have thought of before. And it has them thinking about their scripts and their characters in a different way. And I even had a a finance company Uh, tell a film that I'm working with, they were really happy that this film had started working with Higher Survivors Hollywood. Like it made them feel more comfortable investing in the film. Mm
0: -hmm. That's so interesting.
1: Like we are, we reduce your liability. Having folks like us makes it a much safer environment, a much less litigious environment. Um, Hopefully what it also does is encourage abusive people to stay far away from these projects. You know, I think that's the other thing too, that people aren't really thinking about is that it's not only about making sure that survivors are getting these opportunities and getting a chance to have their careers. It's also about making sure that these abusers don't keep working and don't keep repeating the same abusive behaviors over and over again. So if you're creating an environment where abusers know they're not welcome and know that there's all these safety guides in place, like, the production doesn't have to worry about dealing with the lawsuits and the settlements and the bad PR that come from having these abusers around. And it's just, it's such a positive PR machine too. I mean, right. and it doesn't, it doesn't cost that much to add an intimacy coordinator and the union's already pushing for that. Like the actors. The oh union, yeah. The
0: contract the has, has yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's kind of already moving in that direction um, and having a mental health professional, like you said, like I've been, I've done projects where my, outfit cost so much more <laughs> than <laughs> I would ever imagine. And sometimes more than my paycheck. And, you know, there is room, there's room in the budget to put in these things that make the project better. And it frees the director up to, to play, you know, if they know that there's somebody watching their back in terms of safety, just like when you're doing stunts, mm-hmm. they get to be as creative as they want. And they get to play within this safe space. The actors are more free and more open and feel less afraid because all of those things have been discussed ahead of time. All of those boundaries, Mm -hmm. they've all been agreed to and consent is a huge part of the process so that when the cameras roll, you know, you're safe and you know, you're safe to just do your job. And I think that's a really beautiful part of it too.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, just to honk our own horn, you know, the Casting Society of America is made up of incredibly generous, warm people, casting directors who advocate for actors. We love actors. We want them to be in safe, on safe sets. And we want to, you know, hire people, give the, everybody every opportunity. And I was telling Sarah before that we all talk amongst ourselves and we have this list that one of my colleagues, I'll call him out, Jason Kennedy, who is a wonderful casting director. He casts for NCIS and everything. And he started this list of actors who are just on the cusp of losing their health insurance right they 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 may have families they may not have families they may have a spouse who's ill and needs cancer treatments and so they just need to be cast as anything, right? Just give them a one-line role, give them, give them something just to make their weeks. And so we have a, a active list of actors that we all can look at and go, "Oh, okay, you know, I can help out this person, this or that. So we want to help people. So, you know, I would really encourage my colleagues. Oh, and the other thing I want to say is off the record, Sarah told me some of the casting directors who had told her agent that they weren't going to bring her in because of her advocacy and I'm happy to say that none of those casting directors are part of the CSA I was very worried but when you know I looked them up they're not part of the CSA and um it doesn't surprise me but anyway
1: um I was not given all of the names but yes. I would, would like yes. to think I would like to think that um because my experience is that casting directors really love actors that's why they do what they do and I was telling you I think part of it is some people will just go, nope, this person is too difficult. They're making too many waves. I don't want to deal with that. They're going to be trouble for my production. I'm not I'm not bringing them in. I don't want my producer to have to deal with that, right? There are probably casting directors who look at someone like me and think that. Hopefully, they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are other people who are directly influenced by the fact, and not necessarily casting directors, this probably comes in more to play with producers and directors who are still friends with people like Harvey, or who maybe have some abusive history themselves and are not the best people themselves. And so people like me are scary to people like them. And we are difficult for people like them. And then there's people who just don't know what's going on. And so don't know that they can do something to make it better. So I think it's, it's a complicated knot of how this ends up happening.
0: Well, I definitely recommend that my colleagues, whether you are in the CSA or not, that you help work to end retaliation against survivors of sexual violence in the entertainment industry. And you can actually take a pledge. I'm just going to look it up really quick because I just um, tweeted it out uh, for my colleagues there aren't really anybody in the entertainment industry. You can say, I pledge to build a safer, more equitable industry by giving opportunities, auditions and interviews to survivors and silence breakers. I'll never retaliate against anyone for coming forward about sexual violence. I pledge to hire survivors, take the pledge, hire survivors, Hollywood. So I think that is such a great way for us to start 2022. Anything else you want to say, Sarah? Any, um, then I want to talk to you about what you're watching, what do you watch on TV. That's what, What's your binge? <laughs> so,
1: yeah, well, I'm late to it and I was putting it off for the longest time, but I finally started Succession.
0: Yes.
1: Obsessed with it. It's I, I said to my husband after the first episode, I said, This is Shakespeare. Mm. This is oh, yeah. modern day Shakespeare. I mean, 100%. you know, the billionaires and the corporate class are our kings and queens, and watching them and their private lives and all their many human foibles and just the agony of of watching how terrible they are and how human they are. It's hilarious and dark and yeah and I love it I think it's
0: fantastic there's definitely a a King Lear vibe (laughs) to oh that's cool yeah I've been I just binged Hightown which is so good and sexy and stars uh, Monica Rimland who is just a wonderful actress and she gets to be a very um, flawed law enforcement officer in this and she's sexy as fuck. And I just love it. So yeah, there's a lot of good TV out there right now. And what's next for you, Sarah, what are you working on? You must have a million projects that you're doing.
1: I do. Well, like I said, I'm consulting on this feature right now in my uh, role as the founder of Higher Survivors Hollywood through the rinse and that's filming in the first quarter of 2022. And I am lucky enough to also be in the cast. So that will be a fun thing to do. And I am trying right now. I have, I just finished writing my fourth Feature, So mm. I have some things cooking up with my scripts, trying to get them out there. And I have a uh, shopping agreement for this YA fantasy <gasps> series which is very exciting. It's based on IP. Uh, it's called The Chronicles of Kerrigan. I've been narrating the audiobooks for seven or eight years. And mm-hmm. the author, W.J. May, is just fantastic. And we've talked for a long time about how it really should be a series on television. And so I have a shopping agreement now, and we're trying to get that out there. So lots of lots of good things in the new year.
0: Oh, good. And if you need to hire a casting director for that yeah. or do any attachments.
1: <laughs> I will absolutely keep you in the loop on that. 10, 10, 100%. 10, 10. Yeah. yeah. It and well, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I'll get to audition this year for lots of good projects. That's my I, goal. I hope to
0: see you in a Zoom audition room <laughs> sometime <laughs> soon. That would be
1: amazing.
0: Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I I will do everything I can to push out your initiative, you know, as much as I can. And I just thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on Killer Casting.
1: Thank you for having me. And casting directors are really our heroes as actors. So thank you for being an advocate for us and. And for wanting to get this message out there, I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. All right, everybody, happy new year. And for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.